Let's turn in Holy Scripture to 1 John chapter 1. Last week, Sunday evening, I began in your midst out of Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, and we'll have our text also in Genesis chapter 1, the next thing that God creates, but we'll have as our scripture reading, 1 John 1. This is the word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's so far we read inspired scripture. Now our text is found in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, verses 3 through 5 is the text, and it is as follows. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, let's 
briefly review what we heard last Sunday evening. We'll be coming back to this in the sermon this morning, and we'll be referencing this also tonight, so I'll be rather brief. What God made in the first moment of the first day that there ever was is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the first thing that he made. He made, it says, heaven and earth. And we heard that <clears throat> the heaven and earth was a raw material, you might say. There were no finished, formed creatures yet. And God would use that raw material then. And by the way, he remember he created that heaven and earth, that raw material, out of absolutely nothing. And now he's going to use that heaven and earth, that raw material, to create the rest of the things that we find here in Genesis chapter 1. He's going to finish, form his creation in six days so that what you have at the end is one beautiful orderly whole. So he made that heaven and earth, that raw material, the first moment of the first day. We learn this morning now what else God does on the first day. Day. Sometime after he creates the heaven and earth, we don't know how long after, but yet on that first day, he makes light. There's something mysterious about light. There's something amazing about it. And I hope that, as I said last week, we leave church this morning in greater awe of our God who made this thing to light. When you get home, maybe a good exercise on this Sabbath would be to get a concordance out. Maybe today we don't use concordances so much, but maybe we jump on the internet, do what you will, but look up in the Bible how many times light shows up. That word, Old Testament and in the New Testament. And you'll be astounded at how many times that word shows up, which tells us at least this, how important this creation of God is, how significant it is, and we'll get into that significance too in the third point when we talk about what it pictures. God's creation of light, that's our theme. Let's consider first the creative work, second the light made, and then third the picture given. The creative work, the light made, and then the picture given. Verse 3 of the text brings out this miraculous work of God to create light. He created it. That is, there was no light before that moment. And there was no division of light and darkness before that moment. And then he spoke, he created He called into existence. 
He brought into existence this light so that now it's there. And now you have, after God has created light, this division between the light and the darkness. Once again, we're faced with the infinite power of God and really a miracle. That's what this is, a miracle that the God of all power is able to make this thing. He did that in an instant. That's something that's a theme in this creation account, Genesis chapter 1. You'll find this throughout. God said, let there be X. And there was X. God said, let there be Y. And there was Y. There's an immediacy. There's, he made it instantly. And our text is no exception to that. Verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light immediately. There's no delay. When God speaks it, there is no period of time, and certainly not a long period of time, when God says it, it's there. And that reminds us that what God wills to do shall never be frustrated. He's not going to be stopped in that. And when he has willed to create something, and precisely at the moment to do it, it happens. We call that instantaneous creation. It's one thing that God made light, and we say, what power? But it's another thing that he spoke, let there be light, and it was there right then. That's power. Power. He created. He created instantly. And something else that we ought to notice about this creative act of God is that he made this light by means of the word. By means of the word. This, too, is a theme that will recur as you read through these verses in Genesis chapter 1. Something maybe that we would easily skip over and not find much significance in, but it's actually very important. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. God created by means of his word. Let's back up a moment and remember that it was the triune God who created heaven and earth and all things. Father, first person of the Trinity, spoke the word, the second person of the Trinity. And then the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, carried out what God expressed in that word. And we said, we know that the triune God is the creator because verse 1 says, in the beginning, God. And that's plural in the original, not because there are many gods, but because he's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, later on in Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, and God said, let us 
make man in our image after our likeness. Why does God say, let us? Because he's a triune God. Remember, we called attention of those three persons of the Trinity. But now I call your attention to that second person of the Trinity who was involved in this creative work, making the light. The second person who is the eternal son, whom scripture calls the word. And it's by means of that word that God made this light. This is the living word of God calling all things into existence. And maybe you say, why was God pleased to speak things into existence? Why is it by means of his word? Couldn't he have just sort of willed it and, and there it is? I suppose he could have done it that way. But he speaks things into existence as also the light because he's the covenant God. And as this God who is in himself eternally friendship and fellowship he speaks, and it's by means of his living word that he makes this light. And God said, let there be light. New Testament makes much of this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen for the word, word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now this, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then you jump down to verse 14, and it says about that same word this, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the same word who would take to himself flesh. That's the incarnation. So when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and it says, And God said, you have the word there. The word who would take upon himself flesh. Your Savior is involved. In creating the light. God created. He did that instantaneously. He did that by means of the word. And one other thing to note about this creative act of God is when he did it. The first day, verse 5, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. When did God create the light? On the first day. And now we note this about that first day. This was a normal 24-hour period. And that's true of the rest of the five days in this creation week as well, each of them Normal 24-hour periods. It's too bad, really, 
that we even have to say that. Shouldn't it be apparent as we read Genesis 1? But we must say it, and I even go so far as to say we'd be negligent not to, because there are errors today that teach the exact opposite. There are errors around that say this. Each of the days in Genesis chapter 1 is a very long period of time, even millions of years. Or the errors say, when you read Genesis 1, you shouldn't even see a time element there. You shouldn't think of of a history that goes in order of a chronology. That's not the point of Genesis 1. That's what another error will say. You're familiar, undoubtedly, with what's called theistic evolution. I called your attention last week to evolution and said there are many who explain the existence of the universe from that point of view, and we said evolution is a lie, but now theistic evolution is really no different than evolution except that theistic throws God in the mix at certain points. And one of the teachings of theistic evolution is that it makes each of those days in the creation week, Genesis 1, millions and millions of years. And you say, why do theistic evolutionists say that each of the days are a very long period of time? For this reason. The world, worldly science, looks at the universe and says, This is billions and billions of years old. And so theistic evolutionists say, we have to try to marry that science, so-called, with the Bible. And the way that we can marry those two is by coming to Genesis 1 and saying that each of these days is millions and millions of years long. That's how we can have evolution and the Bible, so they think. In reality, theistic evolutionists deny six-day, 24-hour-per-day creation. Some of you young people are perhaps in college at this point or planning to go to college. And then you parents have young people that are planning to go or are there already. How do we respond to that lie of theistic evolution that makes of each day millions of years. Sometimes in catechism, I'll tell the catechism kids this. Usually they're the older catechism kids, and I'll say, if you had your younger sibling read Genesis chapter 1, what do you think your younger brother or sister would conclude after having read it? What, do, what would they say about each of those days? And the catechism students say, well, my younger brother or sister would of course say, that's a normal day, just like we have a normal day after day. No, I'd say that's right. The scripture is so clear that even a little child can understand Genesis chapter 1. But our response to theistic evolution, even more than that, is this. There's something that happens also in our text, but throughout the chapter, and it's this. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day, and so on. You have a consecutive numbering system. 
And that shows first, second, third, fourth, and so on, that these are normal days that go in order like our week does. And furthermore, what we would say to theistic evolution is this. There is a phrase included, and this too you'll find throughout the chapter, the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day, and so on. And that little phrase, evening and morning, serves to limit each day, or it marks it off. So you have day one, and then you have day two, and so on. Evening and morning kind of mark it off. Each day consists of evening and morning. That would be a very strange way for the Holy Spirit to express it if indeed each of these days were millions of years. Why would he put evening and morning then? The truth is, he puts evening and morning because it's a normal day. And then the final response to theistic evolution and its teaching that each of the days is a long period of time is this, the fourth commandment. I ask you to pay attention as we read the fourth commandment this morning, and you noticed that our work week of six days is patterned after the creation week of six days. And you and I know very well that our work week is normal 24 hours, six days. Just like that now, what is patterned after the creation week, normal 24 hour days. And it was on the first of those that God created the light. He did that creative work. And what he made was light. Have you ever asked yourself, what is light? And maybe you would answer your own question by saying, well, of course I know what light is. It's, it's, it's all around me, and I experience it every single day. It's, it's just there. I know what light is. But then if I came to you and I pressed you a little more, what really is light, though, if you had to define it or describe it? And then you might say, even though it's all around me and I experience it every day, I really can't give you a definition or a description of it. I, I, I can't really tell you what light is. Now, we could go a scientific, technical path. I'm really not going to go that path. That's not what the preaching is supposed to be. But a technical, scientific definition would be something like this. Light or visible light is electromagnetic radiation within the portion of the electromagnetic spectrum which is perceived by the human eye. I don't even know what that means. And you probably don't either. Scientists, even the brightest of them, maybe can make a definition like that and can have their investigations, and can know some things. But even the brightest among them cannot even nearly fully wrap their arms around what this thing is that's called light. Even the brightest among them can't. 
And so it has to be this morning that with a hush, we read verses 3 through 5. Hush of reverence and hush of humility. Our awesome, glorious, mighty God has made this thing that we can hardly even scratch the surface of. What a God he must be then. And how humbled we must be when we stand before these verses. And even though we stammer, we can say four things about light. And the first thing is, light is itself life. Light is itself life. Remember, what was there before God made the light. You have this heaven and earth, verses 1 and 2, this raw material, and now I'm going to point out especially this. It's, it's without form and void, but there's darkness. And we said it's not the darkness like we have at nighttime or during a storm, but this was an absolute darkness. And where there's darkness... There's no life. That, that's just lifelessness. You have the Holy Spirit moving or brooding upon the face of the waters in the midst of that darkness. And the very first thing that the Holy Spirit quickens out of that raw material is light. So that before there's just darkness and lifelessness. But now there's light. There are waves. In the air. Light is itself life. Secondly, light is necessary for all things. Why did God create in the order in which He did? Well, we know God never does something randomly or arbitrarily. He created in the order that he did for a reason. He didn't make plants and birds and beasts of the field and humans and so on first. But he made the light first. Because beasts of the field and birds and fish and humans and plants need that light in order to survive. That's why God made the light first. It's necessary for everything else, and God works in an orderly way. I want to say here, too, that it must have been that when God made light, there was a, a sort of package that he made with that. Things along with the light, like electro, uh, electricity and fire and magnetism and heat, and I call your attention to heat because that, too, is necessary for light. Where you don't have heat, there's no life. And so it must have been in that heaven and earth that God made on the first day at the first moment. Not only that there was darkness, but that there was an absolute cold so that there was no life. Now he makes light, and along with that heat, and where there is light and heat, there is life possible. The third thing that we can say about light is that it makes communication possible. 
Do you know that light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second? And the way light works is this. It strikes an object and then bounces off that object to your eye and you see an image of that object. You have a person sitting next to you in the pew. You look at that person. Light strikes that individual sitting next to you, reflects off that person back to your eye, and you see in your eye an image of that person in the pew. And so we say, light reveals things. In the light, you see. And in light, communication is possible among creatures. Light is itself life. Light is necessary for everything else. Light makes communication possible. And the fourth thing that we observe about this is that it's a good creation of God. That's what the text says. Verse 4, And God saw the light that it was Good. Good in the sense that there was no defect, no imperfection in it. It was a perfect work that he made. Good also in the sense that it accomplished the purpose for which God made it. It is life, and it's there for everything else to live, and it makes communication possible. So it accomplishes God's purpose for it, and in that sense, it's good. And it's good especially and in all things because it serves the glory of the Creator. Everything that God made must serve His glory alone, and the light does that. And so God sees it, that it's good. Good. So we can understand something about what light is, but when God now made it on this first day, what was it like? And partly by that I mean what what did it appear like? What what sort of form? Well we can say that. There was indeed light, but there were no heavenly luminaries yet. You don't have sun or moon or stars. Those are going to come in the fourth day, but we're still on the first day. And so there's light in some form, and you might even say that God concentrated it somewhere, but you don't have sun, moon, and stars. It's not so important to ask exactly what that looked like or what form that took, but why God did it that way. And the answer to that is God makes light without sun, moon, and stars yet because he's emphasizing that he is the source of light. You don't even have all of those heavenly bodies yet, and yet there's A blazing light, that's because God is the source of it. Now even if God had made sun, moon, and stars right here, it still would have been true that he's the source of the light, but he emphasizes that by not creating the light bearers yet. And if he's 
the source of light. He's the source of all life, and he is. Exactly what form this light took, what it looked like on that day, we can say this also, that God made a division between light and darkness. We learned that in verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So in our text this morning, you have mention made of darkness. This is not the same darkness as we find in verse 2. The first moment of the first day, God made heaven and earth, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. But that darkness, we said, was absolute, this pitch blackness. But the darkness in our text, after God creates the light, we ought to think of that more like a shadow. The absolute darkness, God dispelled that away with the light. And what's left is a shadow. And maybe the way that we could picture it is like this. The globe, the earth, partly it's bathed in light. And then the other half of it is bathed in this darkness or this shadow. And that's how God divided the light from the dark, light part of the earth, dark part of the earth. And there is between those two a division, a separation, you might say an antithesis, and they couldn't be any more starkly different from each other. The shadow part of the earth, he called night. The light part of the earth, he called day. May very well have been that on the first day that God made the earth already to begin spinning or rotating on its axis so you, that you have a rotation of day and night. In this creative work of God, what he made, there is a marvelous and beautiful picture Light is a picture of God himself who is light. And now your mind sparks and you say, I know why we read 1 John chapter 1. And verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. God makes this light, and he's saying that this is something about me. And this points to me chiefly, that I am a God who is light, that I am good, that I'm holy, that I'm righteous, that I am a God in whom is no darkness at all. There's no mixture of light and darkness, but I'm pure light. Look at me. Secondly, the picture given is of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is himself the light. And that makes sense because he is God. 
and he's the revelation of God. He is light. You may follow with me in the scriptures with some of these picture ideas if you'd like. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's the only true saving light that there is. And apart from him, there's only darkness. And then you can understand Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, when he says in Luke 1 verse 78, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. A day spring is a sunrise so that there's the nighttime, the blackness, and then the sunrise comes and it casts its orangish, reddish, beautiful glow over the earth. The sun is coming up. And Zechariah says, Christ is coming. He's the day spring from on high. He casts, as it were, his orangish, reddish glow. He's the light for his people. He's coming to give light to them that sit in darkness, the shadow of death, to guide our feet to the way of peace. Third, besides light being a picture of God, who is light, Christ, who is light. Third, and now I especially point you to the fact that when God made the physical light in the beginning, he dispelled that absolute darkness. That's a picture of God who enlightens us, who brings us into the light. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The first Part of that verse where it says God commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that's Genesis 1. And we said, what an amazing miracle of God that he commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And now the rest of the verse says, there's a spiritual work that God does, and it's this. He hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We who were in thick spiritual darkness. God has shined spiritually to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has given to us, beloved, to know his glory, to see 
really to see his glory. And where do you see his glory? But in the face of Jesus Christ, his glorious, beautiful, radiant face. You look upon that and you see the glory of God himself. And you say, what a power of God it was and how miraculous that he made the light and he dispelled that darkness in the beginning. No less powerful of a work of God, was it? To shine in your hearts. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what God has done for you, congregation. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light where there's knowledge and where there's life and where there's fellowship. And you who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, what does the verse say? You show forth his praises. Won't you do that every single day? Look what he's done for me. Fourth, this physical light. And now I'm thinking especially of how there was a division between the darkness and the light, between the night and the day. That's a picture of what God has made us to be and what he calls us to be too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 5, and the, the context here is the second coming of Christ. And it says, Ye are all the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. It's saying, that's your identity, beloved. That's what you are by the grace of God. You are children of light. And then it goes on to give our calling as children of light. Verses 6 through 8. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day... Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. It's your calling as children of light. Christ is coming, and he's coming soon. Maybe you think, too, of 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? What communion does light have with darkness? And don't we say that to our children and our young people too, in their dating, in their friendships? Remember, children, you are light, and light has no communion with the world and the things of the world. We're called to live an antithetical life. And then finally, 
this physical light. And especially this, that there is light on that first day without sun or moon yet. That's a picture too. And it pictures another day that's coming. There's going to come a day, beloved, in the city of God when there will be no need for sun or moon, says Revelation 21, verse 23. And why is there going to be no need for sun or moon in that day? The glory of God will lighten it, and the Lamb will be the light thereof. What a day that will be in that city forever to walk in that light. Amen. Our Father in heaven, great, awesome, powerful, wise God, thou art. God who not only points us backward to what thou hast done, but a God who points us to thyself, thy Son, Jesus Christ, thy work of salvation, and who even in this morning quickens our hope regarding that great day to come when thou, we shall be taken to be in that city. Hear us, Lord, our prayer. Bless our worship. And take this message and press it upon our hearts by thy Spirit. Christ's name we pray. Amen.